I want to continue last week's message, and it seems it just fell into place for Holy Communion Sunday, the present day priestly ministry of Jesus. I want you to say that with me. The present day priestly ministry of Jesus. He was prophet, priest, and king. But his steps did not begin in Bethlehem, as one song said, and they did not end at Calvary. Calvary was not the end of his ministry in our behalf. When he said it is finished, it meant that part of our salvation, the shed blood that was shed for us. There's a scripture that says that we are saved by his life. And you know, the focus is and should be on his death in our behalf. But the Bible said that he was not only died that we might be forgiven, he was raised for our justification. Amen. If he wasn't raised from the dead, Paul said, we're still in our sin. Our preaching is in vain. And there's no resurrection. There's no hope for people who have died. They're lost forever. And we are found to be liars. So the whole gospel hinges on the fact not only that he died for us, but that he rose from the dead because his resurrection proves that God accepted his sacrifice on the cross. Can you say, man, it validated. And then after his resurrection, he says, I'm going to sit down until my enemies be made my footstool. And yet when the first Christian was being martyred for the sake of the gospel, he looked up into heaven, heaven opened, and he said, I see Jesus standing. And he wasn't just standing to, to, to uh, you know, honor the homecoming of the first person that loved him enough to die for him, the first Christian martyr in the book of Acts. But he was standing like he stands for us to make intercession. And the Bible said, because after he said, I see him standing, uh, they thought they were killing him, but I believe God just took him out of his body uh, before they could completely kill him. I think he just fell over because the Bible said and he fell asleep. <laughs> and I don't mean snoring sleep. I meant the old body just crumpled on over. Amen. They could do whatever they wanted to that because he wasn't there anymore. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Hallelujah. So the Bible speaks of Jesus as the first and greatest and mightiest of all intercessors. God honors intercession. Amen. Before he sends judgment, he looks for an intercessor. He would rather show mercy if someone would intercede for others and if they would respond with, with humility and repentance because of that. Amen. But he always looks for an intercessor. He says in the old covenant, I look for a man among them. I look for a man among them to stand in the gap and make up the hedge. And I found none. Therefore, I brought judgment. So judgment was coming and yet God longed to show mercy. He longed to forgive. He longed to restore but there needed to be someone to stand in the gap. Sin creates a gap. We said it last week. My ear is not heavy that it cannot hear. My arm is not short that it cannot reach you. But your sins have separated between you and your God. That great chasm. And yet on the cross, Jesus took the hand of God. And he took the hand of fallen man and brought us together for those that would believe and trust in him that great gap praise God and last week and in review we talked about Peter 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 Simon Simon Satan had desired to have you in the plural all of you that he may sift you as the wheat but I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail and when not if because when Jesus prays, there's no if in it. Amen. Can you say amen? amen? I want to say that again. If Je when Jesus prayed, he didn't say, I'm going to pray for you. But if it works and if God responds and if I have enough faith. No, when Jesus prays, it's in the perfect will of God. It's in perfect faith. And he says, and when thou art converted. 
when you become another man instead of that failing, vacillating man that you have been, when you become another man because of what? My intercession for you then strengthen your brethren. Praise God. I'm here today in a, in a leadership role as pastor. That doesn't mean that I don't have trials and tests or I'm sitting in some bubble with God somewhere. It means that I'm going through the same things. I face the same battles. I have the same flesh to deal with. I have weaknesses within me. I know where they are. And the ones that I don't know, I pray God will show me. But this is not the end of your search for the perfect church. I know you're hesitating to say it, but go ahead and say it. It's the truth. If you ever find the perfect church, do not join it and ruin it for everybody else. Can you say amen? There is no such thing. There's no such thing as a perfect person. How could God use Simon Peter? How could he continue to, to use him? Amen. Listen very carefully today. Jesus as our high priest is the reason that there's any victory anywhere for anyone. If he wasn't making intercession for you, you wouldn't be standing today. Amen. Amen. I wouldn't be standing here today. He said, Peter, Satan had desired to have you. He wants to sift you as the wheat. But I prayed for you. And in the plural, it meant all of you. So that, in, that prayer that he prayed then is covering us right here today. All of my disciples, all of my, it's in the plural. So while it was specific to Peter in a sense, it was generally spoken to every one of his children. I prayed for all of you because Satan wants to destroy all of you. And I'm going to bring out some things today about the present day intercessory ministry of Jesus. Listen before communion. Because of Christ's intercession, we are kept by God's power. Because of Christ's intercession, we are kept by God's power. I just want to stop here a minute and, and tear down a stronghold of pride. If you feel accomplished because you've obtained great victories, you needn't take credit for it. The apostle Paul said, if anybody had a reason to boast, I more. If anybody had a reason to boast, I more. And when he did talk about his victories, he talked about his own folly. He said, you know, I, I, I'm not foolish enough to continue to talk about me and my. It's all about him and his grace and his mercy. And he said, he said, listen, he said, listen, why look upon us? Why, why look at us the way you're looking at us? By the grace of God, I am what I am. He knew if Jesus wasn't interceding for him, there is no possible way that he could stand and walk in the victory that he did stand and walk in. So I want to read this again, but I want to get that, that stronghold down. You know, when you get a lot of victories under your belt, there's, there's something that wants to rise up inside and take credit for those victories. Look what my faith has done. Look what my faith has accomplished. Amen. That's pride. That's taking credit for something that God did. I've used this illustration many times out of National Geographic magazine. They did an article on the Serpa guide that took that first man who's well-known, who I can't remember his name because, you know, I read the Bible more than National Geographic. But back when I, I like to look at the pictures in National Geographic because they were superb, they showed this man, this, this nameless man until they named him and designated him, and he's cresting the top of of Mount Everest. And the first man to plant the American flag on top of Everest, he's in the spotlight and the limelight, and everybody's focused on him and his accomplishment. And yet, when you get up into that thin air, if you didn't have a guide and someone with the stamina to lead and go forward that, that, was, uh, that was just indigenous to that area and knew how to do that, he had a Serpa guide who guided him up that mountain, and it is said by his own mouth that 
I was so exhausted when I almost crested the top in that thin air that he crested the top before me. He reached down and grabbed me by the hand and he pulled me up to plant the flag. And yet he got all of the glory. Uh, Of course he did. He represented America. He did it in the name of his country. But it was that guide that pulled him up. That is the one that should be given the honor, the real honor, because without him, he would have never made it. Can you say, man, that's why in that song, it said, I'm going to be glad to cast my crown. There are crowns. There are five different crowns specifically in scripture given to the overcomer. And yet no one in heaven is going to wear one. It's, it actually means a victory wreath. That was given. It was usually made uh, not out of gold with what we would think of with all kinds of precious jewels in it. These were crowns that were given for, for winning the race, for winning the contest. And the crowns that are giving us are very similar because they are not to wear down Glory Avenue, strutting our stuff and wearing our crown. There are people with crowns already in heaven that have won the crowns. And you know what? The Bible said the four and 20 elders, they all had that crown because they all overcome. And yet what are they doing with their crowns? They are casting those crowns at the feet of Jesus. There's a singing group. What a name they picked for themselves. Biblical name, casting crowns. Can you say, man, we fall down and cast our crowns, the song says, where? At the feet of Jesus, because no one would be there if he hadn't died. No one would be there if he hadn't been raised from the dead. And no one would have overcome if he didn't intercede in our behalf. Because Satan desired to have us all that he may sift us as a wheat, but I have prayed for you. Can you say man? So because of Christ's intercession, we are kept by God's power. See, this is, this, is, this is more than just Pentecostal focus many years ago. It was only on the power of the Holy Spirit that we could live a sinless life and overcome the devil and the flesh and the world because we said, come tie my bow tie. We spoke in other tongues indicating the presence of power. I'm going to tell you all victory, not some victory, but all victory is because of a person, not just power. Power is released because of this person. Power is available because of this person. But the focus isn't on the power. It's on the person. Even the communicator and mediator of the power, the Holy Spirit says when he comes, what's he going to do? Just Release power? No. The Bible said he's going to testify of me. Can you say, man, he will not speak of himself. He will testify of me. Because you're not saved by just power. You're saved by a person who took your place on the cross. You're not walking in victory just because you've been filled with power, but because a person stands up when you fall down. Praise God. Hallelujah. And his name is? Glory to God. Because of Jesus' intercession, we're kept by God's power. But all victory begins with a person. Listen to Hebrews 7 and verse 25. Wherefore he, everybody say person. Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him. Everybody say a person. Seeing that he, Jesus, say it with me, Jesus, that he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Amen. The reason that you are saved, the reason that you are kept, and the reason that power has been released to you is because a person died for you whose name is Jesus and a person is interceding for you. Oh, isn't it good to know when you waver and I waver, when our faith wavers, when we, our faithfulness wavers, that when we are weak, somebody said, you know, Satan trembles when he sees the weakest Christian on their knees. When we go to God in prayer, make him our source. But he also trembles when we fall under the load and Jesus stands up. Oh, you didn't hear me. That makes him tremble too. When I crumple under the load, Jesus stands up. 
This is not permissiveness. This is not some, some cloak for maliciousness or, or lasciviousness or sin. This is the fact that God loves you and wants you to walk in victory. And He's willing to take the first step in assuring that that victory can be yours. If you want to be free from sin, you got somebody on your side today. If you want to overcome the weakness of the flesh and the power of the enemy, you got someone in your corner today. Can you say, man, and he is able. And everywhere you see the word he is able, it means he is faithful and able. He doesn't just have the power. He loves you enough to release it in your behalf. He's faithful. Sarah received strength, Hebrews 11, to conceive and bring forth a son being past the age of childbearing, childbearing and being barren when she was a young woman, a double negative to having a child. But she received strength to conceive and bring forth a son being past the age of childbearing because she considered him faithful that promised. Can you say man? Faithful and able. Faithful and able. Faithful and able. Praise God. If he's able and not faithful, he won't release that power in our behalf. He won't grant that grace. But if he's faithful and able, God is able to deliver you today. Nothing is too hard for him. And he loves you enough. Praise God. Wherefore, he is able and faithful. Also to save them to the uttermost that come to God by him, seeing that he ever liveth to make intercession. It's not just because of the power we have within us. It's because we have a person praying for us. Everybody say, not just the power within us. I'm going to tell you, I've been, I've been in the Pentecostal movement, charismatic, call it all those things, full gospel. I was baptized in the Holy Ghost. I'm still baptized in the Holy Ghost. I believe in the person and power of the Holy Spirit. But without Jesus interceding, there's no one that has enough power to stand in and of themselves, even with the presence of the Holy Spirit, because he can only empower you to the degree that you keep your trust in the Lord and you begin to not give ground to the devil. And where do you get that grace and that help from? It has to be from Christ's intercession, because having power in you doesn't mean you become so powerful that you never have to deal with your weaknesses of your flesh. Your flesh is weak. You see people on television implying, and it was implied to me, you get the Holy Ghost. Peter got the Holy Ghost, and he never failed again. It changed him. I heard one preacher say, and I believe in terms of strictly power, it's true. He said the Holy Ghost is to the believer what a phone booth was to Superman. You go in, Clark Kent, you come out. How do you come out? Superman. Superman. Able to leap tall buildings in a single bound, more powerful than a locomotive, faster than a speeding bullet. Satan can't tempt me because he can't catch me. He don't have to catch you. Let no man say he's tempted of God, for God tempteth no man. Cannot be tempted with evil, evil, neither tempteth any man. But every man, every person that's still at home in this body that has the flesh to deal with, every man is tempted when he's led away of his own lust and enticed. Lust, when it's conceived, bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it's finished, bringeth forth death. And I'm telling you today, you can talk in tongues, run the aisle, do backflips and handsprings. You can have visions and dreams and revelations. But without the grace of God and without Christ's intercession, you will never know victory, not consistently in your life. Can you say amen? And that's what happened to so many. I heard Robert Learden speak recently at a pastor's meeting who wrote God's Generals. It was a number one bestseller for many months out of the New York bestsellers list. Christians bought that book because these leaders of revival down through the years. Uh, uh, and, and yet in that book, it wasn't just telling about their exploits and their accomplishments, but their weaknesses and their failures. And without the grace of God, there would be no 
spiritual leader that could stand. Even Paul said, it's only by the grace of God I am what I am. He said, not that we're sufficient. See, you've got to be careful. Sometimes being baptized in the Holy Ghost, being used of God, can take you into an area of self confidence and self-sufficiency and self-exaltation amen and that's a dangerous place to be when a man says out of that self-sufficiency even look into the power within him instead of the person interceding for him when a man says behold i stand i declare when god heals me but i declare it with humility I'm very cautioned not to, not to just say, look what my faith has done. Don't you wish you had faith like me? Don't you wish you could believe God like me? I've heard people talk about walking in, in perfect health, never having a problem. I heard one man preach that, and, and he, he was in a Christian bookstore when some other preacher was in there with him, and he was a televangelist, and he sneezed because he was catching a cold. I mean, when you sneeze and greenish yellow stuff comes out your nose, you have a cold. <laughs> a major one. Graphic, isn't it? It's true. And immediately he was embarrassed because he coughed. He expressed his humanity that didn't the Bible say we have this treasure in what kind of a vessel? An earthen vessel, that the excellency of the power might be of God and not of ourselves. That's why you, if you get around someone highly anointed and you see that they're just like you in many respects, they have weaknesses, they have flaws. Why? Why does God make them glorious? Because he wants all the glory to go to the one who deserves the glory, and that's Jesus. Can you say man? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I don't have any skeletons in my closet. Lord have mercy. There's no room for any. We live in a small house. We have utility sheds. If I had a skeleton, it would have to be in the shed. Amen. Hallelujah. But if you're around me, you're going to see I'm human. The Bible said be angry and sin not. It doesn't say never get angry. Because it's impossible you to never get angry. In fact, you're going to get mad sometime. And then we're going to see your bad self. You've got a good self and a bad self. Can you say amen? <laughs> and that bad self in my flesh, because they were looking at him after the flesh and looking at his accomplishments, and he, Paul said, in my flesh, in my flesh, there dwells no good thing. That's why we're told to crucify the flesh, because you can't do anything else with it. It's going to always be that weak part of us. And we're going to always need His intercession in our behalf. We're going to need His forgiveness. Thank God we can be forgiven. If we say we have no sin, we're disingenuous. No, we're liars according to the Scripture. God's not going to water it down to make it palatable to our flesh. He wants to help you crucify it, not try to give it CPR to keep it living. Can you say amen? Your flesh will play possum. You'll act all holy and sanctified on Sunday until somebody cuts you off on US 19. Amen? You drive 19? You don't. You stay away from 19. I saw a tag on a car that said, pray for me. I drive on US 19. I thank God for Jesus interceding. On our way in, we were looking at the interstate up here. We were on our way. I, I think, was it to one of Sherry's get-togethers, one of her hoedowns, one of her... Well, that's, you know, when you, well, we didn't dance or anything, but we, we ate a lot of ribs and, and hamburgers that this brother cooked, amen. And we were doing 70 miles an hour on the interstate. And suddenly, out of, and then the whole interstate's doing 70 and beyond. And suddenly there's a car in front of us that goes into a spin across both lanes, spinning like that, right in front of us. Immediately reflects, I break, reflects, Jesus, 
not in the sense of Jesus, my source. It's just reflex. It's in you and in the time of trouble. But you know something? There wasn't time for me to pray some long. This was split second stuff going on. And I believe with all of my heart at the point that that was happening, Jesus was standing. And in, because he ever lives to do what? Whatever the circumstance is to make intercession on the cross. What's he doing? What's he doing? Father, forgive them. What? What is this all about? They hate you. They hurl slurs at you. Your own disciples have denied you, Peter in particular, and they love to watch you writhe in pain. And here he is interceding for them. Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. His his dying breaths, his dying words are intercession. I'm here today because Jesus interceded for me and is interceding for me and will continue. That's what it means to be said when it says we are saved by his life because he ever lives to intercede. Amen. And this is the present day ministry of Jesus. Because of Christ's intercession, we can be bold and confident that we will have God's help and grace when we need it. Listen to Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. And this begins with grasping this, getting it by revelation and then having the realization of it. Verse 14 says, seeing then. That we have a great high priest. Everybody say seeing. Seeing then. That we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens. Jesus the son of God. Let us hold fast our profession. I like one paraphrase that said let us cling to him and never stop trusting him. Everybody say let us cling to him. And never stop trusting him. Verse 15 says, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Hallelujah. And what kind of grace does he grant to us? He said, my grace is sufficient for you. And my strength is perfected in weakness. And when you recognize your weakness, you don't run from God. You run to God and you come confidently to the throne of grace to receive what you need. To be forgiven, to be restored, to be strengthened, to go on and walk in victory. Can you say man? Hallelujah. We have boldness to come into the presence of God because Jesus is our great high priest. Because of Christ's intercession, we need not fear the accuser. Revelation twelve ten and 11. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Somebody say he never lets up. And they overcame him, verse 12, or yes, verse 11, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they see, we're to hold fast our profession of faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Hallelujah. And they overcame him by getting so filled with the Holy Ghost so full of power and ministry gifts that they didn't need anyone interceding for them. They had power, power, power. When power transcends the person, you are on dangerous ground because the power will cause you to become self-sufficient. And Paul had so many revelations that self-sufficiency leading to self exaltation was about to happen to him. And there was given to him an emissary from Satan to buffet him. And 
He was so concerned about this impediment of his ministry. He had all these visions and all of these these heavenly visions and, and, and things to accomplish for God. And, and yet he's been stymied and he stopped because of circumstances coming against him. And the Bible said there was an emissary and the word emissary means a special agent. That means someone that the devil has handpicked and to, to, to always be hindering that person. He feared Paul. He feared his ministry. He knew. He knew the power of that ministry because at that point in time, Paul was giving God all the credit and all of the glory and staying humble and dependent. But because of many revelations, he was in danger because we have the treasure in what kind of vessel? An earthen vessel that the excellency of the power not be of ourselves, but it be of God himself. Can you say man? And he prayed three times, Lord, deliver me. And I believe he prayed in perfect faith. But perfect faith, when it isn't in the perfect will of God, will not twist his arm to give you what he wants. Faith obtains what he wills, not everything you want. Faith is not carte blanche. It's not a blank check that you write by faith to get what you want. In fact, in the pattern prayer, (laughs) in the pattern prayer, Lord, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven and in a more personal sense in earth as it is in heaven. On the cross, Jesus, or in the garden, Jesus said, not my will. If there's any other way, let the cup pass, but not what I will, but what you will be done. Can you say, man? And this is the confidence we have in him if we ask anything according to his will. He hears us. And if he hears us, we know we have the petition that we've desired of him. He listens and responds to our prayer because it's what he wills. Hallelujah. And he did not will for this thing to never bother Paul again, but to get Paul in a place where he wouldn't fall into spiritual pride. Pride made an angel a devil. The Bible said he was lifted up because of his beauty. And he said, I will be like the most high. I will sit in the congregation of the north where God is sitting now. Amen. Listen to me very carefully. And pride is a dangerous thing, even spiritual pride. I've heard people say, I don't have problems, I only have answers. I thought, somebody get an extinguisher and put out their pants. Liar, liar, pants on fire. No, no, if you think you're in that place, you're in danger. You're not some great one, some mighty one, you're in a danger zone. For when a man says, behold... I stand. And if he doesn't say it publicly, he can say it privately. And he carries that air. That woman carries that air about them. And they speak condescendingly to everyone else. Because you're not on the level that I am. Don't you wish you were up here with me? No, because up there is not where you're supposed to be, darling. Some people are so awed by certain spiritual leaders they just fall over themselves they're gushing about them and when someone comes gushing to me about a spiritual leader i know their eyes are off jesus Amen. and if their eyes are off jesus i don't care who they are it doesn't matter how many gifts they have or how anointed they are amen without his intercession without his grace without his mercy no one could stand apart from me what can we do amen i am the vine and you are the branches Hallelujah. Amen. And apart from me, apart from me, apart from me, you can do nothing. But through him, all things are possible. And I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. But I can't do nothing without him. That's the other side of the coin. Praise God. But because of his intercession, hallelujah, we can overcome the accuser. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives even unto the death. You see, when Jesus intercedes for us, he presents his blood shed on our behalf, his scarred body. We cannot plead our own innocence to escape the accuser's wrath. We can plead 
the blood of Jesus, which was shed for us. No matter what you're facing, the wrath of your enemy, the weakness of your own flesh, you can and you need to plead the blood of Jesus. Now, I know there's not a scripture that says plead the blood, but there's all kinds of scripture that supports the statement pleading the blood. Can you say, man, I plead the blood of Jesus before these services. Many times I, I plead the blood of Jesus over this hotel before we even arrive. I plead the blood of Jesus over you before you walk in here. I know the enemy is the first one to church. Even before the Christellos. Amen. And they beat me today. I can't ride them anymore. I was going to get a saddle for them because I know it's getting raw. But anyway, they beat, they beat me here today. You're not the first one to walk in. I'm not the first one to walk in. When the word of God is coming forth, immediately Satan cometh, Jesus said. He so fears it getting in you and bringing forth the fruit. He so fears you seeing what God wants you to see by revelation. And then you begin to have the realization of it in your life. He's so afraid that you're going to become bold, hallelujah, in your faith, in your walk with God. And you're going to be able to crucify the flesh because you're enabled because Jesus is interceding in your behalf and granting the grace and the strength that you need to do it. All he needs is your surrendered will. Hallelujah. He don't need anything of your flesh. He needs the surrendered will. And because he won't supersede your will, but if you want to be free, he'll set you free. If, oh, somebody said, I'll give up this habit when God takes it away from me. God ain't going to take your habit away from you. But if you'll lay it on the altar, he'll set you free from it. Can you say man? Hallelujah. For whom the sun sets free, free. Woo! is free indeed. That means it's for rizzle. That's a word. It really is. It's, it's slang. It's for real. It's genuine. You will enjoy it and you will employ it. Praise God. Hallelujah. But you can't defend yourself in the court of heaven. You can't present yourself. Isn't it good to know through his intercession? The Bible said Christ loved the church and he cleansed it. With what's happening right here, the washing of water by the word. That we might present ourselves to him. No, that we might be presented unto him, a glorious church. Without spot or blemish or any such thing. That we might be presented unto him. In the parable of the wedding garment, someone comes not wearing a wedding garment. And the host of the wedding said, what are you doing here without a wedding garment? Take that person and cast them out of here. They don't belong here. You've got to have a wedding garment. You're dishonoring the bride and the groom and the whole ceremony. You can't come here in your sin-stained, tattered rags. You have to have a wedding garment to come to this wedding. And you know what the good news is about those traditional weddings of that day? Because everybody invited couldn't afford I mean, if I've got to go rent a tux to come to your ceremony, you know what I'm saying? There were times I didn't, I mean, if time I buy my gas and buy my groceries, there may not be $150 to rent a tux. Or what is it to rent a tux? Anybody? Am I in the ball? Probably ballpark, 150 Four or 500 It could be, depending on the tux. But you know what the host of the wedding did? You think he's being cruel by saying, why'd you come without a wedding garment? You know what he did? He sent the wedding garment to everyone invited to the wedding. So if you couldn't afford one, it was granted to you by the host of the wedding. And that's why when someone had been sent the wedding garment and didn't wear it, 
and wore their old tattered rags to dishonor and disrespect. He said, take that person, cast them out of here. Amen. It's, you know something? We can't, we can't present our righteousness before the holy demands of a holy God. But there's something called the robe of righteousness. Paul said, in being found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, because I can't keep it perfectly and you can't either. In fact, the law itself is our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. It's to show us how far we have drifted from God and how we could never be in that place of acceptance except through the interposed, intercessory blood of Jesus Christ. No one can boast in His presence. Every crown will be laid at His feet. Can you say amen? He has provided the wedding garment, being found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is because of keeping the law perfectly, but the righteousness which is of God. God's righteousness is our wedding garment. I know this is tearing down some sacred cows, and some people are looking at someone as if they deserve to be in heaven because they're so sinlessly perfect. You are dead absolutely flat out wrong. That's a lie right out of the pit of hell. Don't you feel bad that because you are weak... Come boldly before the throne of grace. Amen. Paul said, when I'm weak and I look to God and don't give up and don't go back and don't get uh, the poor old me's. Amen. And don't get into dejection and rejection. You may not believe this. It's going to be hard for you to believe, but use your faith today. And listen, I'm telling you the truth. I grew up with a inferiority complex. I was told my whole life. And I was a good boy. I'm going to have to brag on me. I was. I was. I mean, I did the dishes. My mama worked. I mopped the floor. I took out the garbage. I emptied the ashtrays when she married my stepdad. I loved to empty the ashtrays. I had a smoking habit, and he would leave some of them that long. And I said, look at here, look at here. Lord have mercy. And my, he smoked non-filter cigarettes, you know, Camel and Lucky Strike and Pell-Mell or Paul Mall, as you want to call it. They had no filter on them. And, and, and I, my, the end tips of my fingers were yellow from nicotine because I would smoke it right down to the last puff. I was highly addicted to nicotine. Couldn't afford cigarettes. I, I rarely ate lunch when we married. Uh, amen. I was in high school. I, I used my 35 cents to buy a pack of Lucky Strikes instead of eating lunch. Went out to the smoking table between every class. And got as much smoke down in my lungs as I could. And I'd be running down the hall to class and smoke would be coming out my nose. I remember Ronald Short never had a smoking habit. And he said, if God wanted anybody to smoke, you put a stack right here, a smokestack. So you didn't have to blow it out your mouth. You'd suck it in and it'd come out the smokestack. That's not a biblical thing, but that's just Ronald. Said all that to say this, all my life. I was just put down. <laughs> I had a cousin that was straight-A student. I'd bring home a C-plus and get put down. Man, for me, a C-plus was good. If I'd applied, my, I can't imagine. If I, had, if I had applied myself, I'm going to tell you to me, a D is passing. Amen. My mama looked at my report card and said, Why can't you be like your cousin? I thought, I'm not him. I'm, I'm not him. I'm doing okay. I'm going to graduate high school. Amen. I'll make it. Don't worry. Lighten up. I'm a good guy. I'm not stupid. I'm not, re well, very rebellious. One, one good thing about nobody wanting you around when my stepdad married, he wasn't mean to me. He just ignored me, and that was wonderful. From Friday until Monday, nobody knew where I was or what I was doing. Nobody knew because I, I took off. I went somewhere. I hitchhiked with a friend to Clearwater Beach and stayed out there until midnight and hitchhiked home at 2 o'clock in the morning all the way from Clearwater Beach to Mango Sefner. Wow. And nobody cared. 
and nobody tried to kill me. Nobody killed me. Isn't that wonderful? I made it through all of that, and nobody killed me or molested me or bothered me in any way. People picked me up and thought I was crazy. What are you doing out here at 2 o'clock in the morning? I told my son the other day, I said, I didn't grow up embraced or, or encouraged. I prayed for my dad when I was 12 years old because I came to Christ when I was 12. And I used to sit on the back porch and pray for my daddy when he had a nervous breakdown and squeeze his hand. My daddy wasn't there for me. I took him for a ride on a motorcycle. He didn't take me for a ride. I got a motorcycle at 14 because I put the move on my stepdad who was dating my mama. And he wanted to be in with my mama. I turned 14 years old, and I found a 1955 BSA motorcycle. Oh, wow. And I showed it to him, and it was $199.99. Just think, I could get it for under $200. Oh, don't laugh. That's the psychology they use on everyone. That's not a $30,000 truck. Oh no, this is way cheaper than that. This is twenty nine ninety nine ninety nine. And I got the motorcycle and I got the attitude. But I want to tell you something. When I came in the kingdom, I felt the same way. I'm not worthy of the Holy Spirit. I'm not worthy of this kind of love. I have to prove myself to God. I have to achieve. I have to achieve. It kept me from being baptized in the Holy Ghost for almost a year. Amen. Because I never felt worthy. They came around me. They told me, if you can't get it, then there's sin in your life. And I thought, Lord, have mercy. I just got rid of every Beatles album I had collected. I, I I was looking for things to get rid of. I, it was good in a sense. I was doing a house cleaning. I got rid of anything I thought might be the sin thing or the hindering thing. I didn't know much about grace. And, and I remember an evangelist in our church that I looked up to preached under a heavy anointing. He is preaching on be ye perfect as I am perfect, which means be complete and mature and the finished product not sinlessly perfect because that person sinned a great sin. And I said, how did that occur? I've been trying to be that person. I've been trying to be walk in that sinless, perfect state. Talking about a sanctification where, where you're not tempted anymore because you're above being tempted. No man's above that. If Jesus did not intercede for you, there's not enough power there's not enough faith on your part, but he's always interceding. I remember truth when they sung that song, and I didn't see it, and I didn't get it at that time, but I was intrigued by the words. He is always interceding to the Father for his children. Always interceding to the Father for his children. Praise God. We can overcome the accuser because... Jesus pleads his blood in the presence of the Father. I like what C.H. Spurgeon says. He comments, the great God now deals with us upon methods that are founded and grounded upon the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad for that? God is dealing with us based on the fact that Jesus is pleading his blood in the presence of God in our behalf. If he's pleading his blood in heaven, we ought to plead his blood here upon the earth. Can you say, man? Oh, the devil doesn't like it when we plead the blood of Jesus because it robs him of that ability to have God listen to him when he accuses us. The court of heaven says you're acquitted. What more shall we say? It's God that justifies. It is Christ that died and yea is rose again. If God be for us, who can be against us? Can you say man? Because of Christ's intercession, we can plead the blood of Jesus. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony now testimony used to mean i'm saved sanctified by the blood of jesus that's a good testimony 
We used to have popcorn testimony services. That means you start over here, someone jump up and testify, someone jump up and testify, some of them jump up and testify, some would jump up and sing a little song of victory. Praise God. What God has done for us. But this word of testimony here is directly related to the fact that we overcome through the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sin? And what can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. There is, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath the flood. Lose all their guilty stains. Lose all their guilty stains. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Would you be free from the burden of sin? There's power in the blood. Can you say, man, glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, we just thank you for the blood of Jesus. Here in Revelation twelve eleven, we see the Greek word logos, translated word in the King James. It simply means to speak or something said, utterance, treatise, talk, The Logos of God is His Word, the Bible spoken to man. Testimony in this passage is marturia in the Greek, which also means something spoken, evidence, record of, report, witness, or testimony. This verse could therefore read, The saints of God defeated Satan by applying the power of the blood of Jesus against his works. They spoke their report as witnesses for God of the evidence received and experienced through his salvation. These saints were so adamant in their battle against evil that their very lives did not count. Only victory in God. Hallelujah. If you feel overwhelmed, weak, weary, discouraged, plead the blood of Jesus. I love this statement. In times of spiritual warfare and travail, old time, this was not just unique to Pentecostals church, old time Baptists, Pentecostals and others would declare, I plead the blood. Through this saying, though this saying may seem antiquated and foreign to some today, it was the standard among many who have effectively waged war against the devil. What they were saying is, I bring the power of the blood of Jesus to bear against the forces of evil. Or as God's ambassador, I apply the blood of Jesus by faith to any given situation, person or thing. No matter what your peripheral doctrinal perspective may be, one cannot argue with the forthright tenacity of these saints who understood and fearlessly applied this principle. I want to say it to you again. If Jesus is pleading his blood in the presence of God the Father in our behalf, we should be pleading his blood in our behalf upon the earth. Can you say man? Hallelujah. You really believe there's power in the blood to forgive every sin? Would you be whiter? Much whiter than snow? There's power in the blood. There's power in the blood. Praise God. And today, as we get ready to receive communion, I want to apply and plead the blood of Jesus. If, you've, if there's a sin right now that God is bringing into your consciousness, he's not bringing it there to condemn you, but to convict you so that you can get it cleansed by the blood of Jesus. So that Satan can't rise up and point his accusive finger. He does it day and night. He's relentless to keep you from coming boldly before the throne of grace to obtain mercy and grace to help in the time of need. There are people in this audience that have come to me after preaching on the forgiveness of God and the mercy of God and the grace of God and said, that was for me. That was for me. That was for me. And you know what it indicates to me? That someone is growing in grace and growing in their relationship to God. And they're not going to allow the devil nor their own conscience 
to keep condemning them. Now, therefore, after we receive Christ as our Savior, now, therefore, there is no condemnation to them that are in Jesus Christ who walk after the sea. You've got to have the will to serve him. He won't make you do that. But if you have the will and you, you depend on the Holy Spirit's power and you depend on the person of Jesus, listen, now, therefore, there is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus who walk after the spirit and not after the flesh for the law of the spirit of life in Jesus Christ has set us free from the law of sin and death or as one translation, the vicious circle of sin and death used to in our church, the evangelist felt successful when he would come. If he could get us all in the altar confessing sin. Well, at some point, we need to be delivered from the vicious circle. If you have to confess sin every Sunday, there's no victory in your life. And I'm not talking about sinless perfection. I'm talking about let not sin reign in your mortal body to obey it in the lust thereof. Don't let it have the final word or the final control. And it begins by reckoning, and it's a mathematical term, reckoning, seeing yourself as dead unto sin but alive unto God. That means I'm no longer a slave to sin. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm a servant. I am a slave, but I'm a bond slave to Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. How many believe that you can live a victorious life because of Jesus' high priestly present-day ministry in your behalf? Praise God. All right. We're going to get ready for Holy Communion. And uh, do we have that song, No Longer a Slave to Fear, For I Am a Child of God? You, it might be on there somewhere. Praise God. This is time for Holy Communion, just in time for Holy Communion. Are you glad you came to church today? Do you feel like you're growing in grace? Do you like following a subject, not ever to a conclusion, but enough of it that we begin to do what the Bible said, seeing that we have a high priest that's passed into heaven. When we begin to personally grasp that, first by revelation through the word of God, and then experiencing the realization of it in our life, it produces holy boldness. Holy boldness. Proverbs said, the wicked flee when no man pursueth. They're, they're afraid even when they don't know what they're afraid of. We've got a world like that last day. Prophecy, men's hearts failing them for fear and looking at those things that are coming upon the earth. But we, but the Bible said, but the righteous, if you're right with God, the righteous are bold as a lion. Can you let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace to obtain grace and mercy? Let's finish, Paul, as we get ready to be served communion. I besought the Lord thrice that this thing depart from me three times. The prayer was not answered. And he was puzzled that God would not deal with this thing that weakened him and caused him to stay on his face and knees before God. And God spoke to him and said, My grace is sufficient for you, and my strength is perfected when you sense your weakness. Confess it and depend wholly, solely upon me. What? Paul said, then I'm going to take pleasure in the pressure. What? Everybody say, what? I'm going to take pleasure in the pressure that this continued trial is creating for when I am weak. Then am I made strong. Can you say amen? So let the weak say I am strong, hallelujah, because Jesus intercedes and because he grants sufficient grace and because then the power of God can flow to me and through me. 
can you say man? Paul talked about the power of God resting on him because of that sufficient grace supporting him. It starts with a person, but it releases power into our life. Thank God for Jesus today. Hallelujah. I'm, gonna, I'm going to heaven. I'm not making some, uh, how do you know you're going to be there? Because I plead the blood of Jesus. I believe it was sufficient. I believe in the efficacy of the blood of Jesus. And I'm a partaker of all that Christ has done and is because I'm keeping the beginning of my confidence, which was at the foot of the cross, steadfast unto the end. I will not look back. I will not go back. I will not turn back because we're not of them. Hallelujah. That turn back into perdition. We are of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Can you say man? Hallelujah. They that endure to the end. I don't know if I can make it. Of course you can make it by the grace of God. Of course you can make it by the power of God. Of course you can make it because your high priest is interceding for you. Hallelujah. You need to get a testimony that lines up with his testimony. Hold fast your profession means to say the same thing as another. What did Jesus say about it? He said, those my father hath given me, if you don't go back, if you don't turn back, no man can pluck you out of his hand. For my father that giveth me, he's greater than them all. No demon, no devil, no minion. I'm not talking about the little yellow guys. I'm talking about the bad ones. Can you say, man, hallelujah, no power of hell is able to contradict the grace that flows from the cross. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. So listen, no longer a slave to fear, for I am a child of God. Hallelujah. Say it with me. No longer a slave to fear, for I am a child of God. Therefore, we have boldness in the day of wrath because we know that we're not appointed to wrath, but to obtain salvation. If you'll play that song, we'll be served Holy Communion. When Jesus ate the last supper physically with them, he was on his way to the cross. They didn't know it. They didn't understand it. What he said to them took them back. It astonished them because it was the Passover meal. It had been celebrated for centuries since God's people came out of Egypt. And when he sat down with them to eat this Passover meal, this cedar, as it was called, he said, I've longed to eat this meal with you. I've longed for this day to come that we could enter into this kind of intimacy, this kind of fellowship together. I've longed. And he knew where he was going. He knew where he was headed when he rode into Jerusalem and they heralded him and and they laid the palm fronds down and, and they celebrated him. When he walked that road to Golgotha, up that hill called Calvary to mount, to the Mount of Crucifixion, there was no heralding of his praise there was no hand clapping he wasn't coming to deliver them from Rome he was coming to deliver them not that temporal military defeat of Rome that temporal political uh, uh, salvation he came to deliver us from sin's deadly wound and he came to do something of eternal significance and eternal value. Can you say, man? And he knew that something was going to happen after the cross when they had the understanding of it. And it would carry on to the 21st century where we are right now. I've longed to eat this meal with you. And he grabbed the piece of bread and he tore it in half. said, this is my body broken for you picked up the cup and lifted it high and said, this is the new Testament in my blood. This is the new covenant in my blood shed for the sins of many. 
As often as you eat this bread, do it in remembrance of me, my body broken. As long as you drink this cup, you show and declare the Lord's death. That's the beginning of pleading the blood of Jesus. Can you say, man, you, you, you show S H E W. It doesn't mean to just display openly. It means to communicate the fact that you're saved because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. You plead the blood of Jesus. And when you receive Holy communion spiritually, praise God. Thank God. He said, I longed to share this meal with you. And that same longing is in his heart today to have fellowship with you and fellowship with me around the love expressed in his crucifixion. Hallelujah. Not in the feel, feely, touchy stuff, but in the fact of the cross today. Hallelujah. This is beyond feely, touchy Pentecostal. Can you say, man, this is a fact a settled reality. And when I don't feel anything and heaven seems brass and God seems distant, I plead the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. And I come boldly before the throne of God. He picked up the bread, tore it in half, said, this is my body broken for you. As often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. You may break the wafer. Father, we receive this symbol of your torn, tortured, broken body. How we thank you for both the pain and the shame that you endured because you loved us that much. We fall in love with you again. We recommit our life to you anew and afresh. This communion Sunday, we plead the blood of Jesus. You may eat the bread. He picked up the cup. The third cup of the cedar must have been the one they surmised that he picked up. Messianic Jews that had received Christ as their Savior said that cup represented to everyone who knew what each cup represented, four of them sitting on the table. That cup represented redemptive love, their redemption. He said, this is the new covenant in my blood shed for the sins of many. As often as you drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood. We plead that blood. You plead that blood on the mercy seat in heaven, which we had a type of in the old covenant, and you became the fulfillment of the type. But, Father, that blood still speaks in our behalf in the presence of God. Hallelujah. And Lord, we're going to keep the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. Hallelujah. What can wash away our sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make us whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You may drink the cup. Hallelujah. 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 Just lift your heart and your hand and just thank him for saving you. Thank him. Plead his blood. Hallelujah. God loves you so much today. He longs not only for that meal, but he longs for the meal that's coming. Hallelujah. That this is a precursor of the wedding supper of the lamb. When the bride and the groom consummate hallelujah eternally their union and we'll live with him in his holy city forever and ever age without end let's finish that song if we can will you stand your feet